reading this morning comes from Healing the Heart of Democracy by Quaker author and teacher Parker Palmer. And it will be read to us by Maria Kempner. And this reading was written in 2011, which I think is just, um, it's so relevant to our world today. And <coughs> Maria will read it to us. The politics of our time is the politics of the brokenhearted, an expression that will not be found in the analytical vocabulary of political science or in the strategic rhetoric of political organizing. Instead, it is an expression from the language of human wholeness. There are some human experiences that only the heart can comprehend and only heart talk can convey. Among them, are certain aspects of politics, by which I mean the essential and eternal human effort to craft the common life on which we all depend. When all of our talk about politics is either technical or strategic, to say nothing of partisan or polarizing, we loosen or sever the human connections on which empathy, accountability, and democracy itself depend. If we cannot talk about politics in the language of the heart, if we cannot be publicly heartbroken, for example, that the wealthiest nation on earth is unable to summon the political will to end childhood hunger at home, then how can we create a politics worthy of the human spirit, one that has a chance to serve the common good? So on Thursday afternoon, I was driving up Route 27 into Natick to stop at the library on my way home, in fact, to pick up Parker Palmer's book. And as I drive through Natick, I see a yard sign, one of those political yard signs along the way, that says in great big letters, everybody sucks 2016. <laughs> and then in tiny red font at the bottom, it says, the US is doomed. And I think, Maybe, maybe we're doomed. I've just been thinking about the Mary Oliver poem, the line where she says, you tell me about your despair, yours, and I'll tell you mine. And the Wendell Berry poem we opened worship with, which starts with, when despair for the world grows in me. And I think it's no coincidence that both of these poems have floated through my brain this week. And I wonder to my friend with the everybody sucks 2016 lawn sign, I wonder, what is your despair, friend? Is it so great that you felt compelled to put up that long lawn sign? Or is it dry humor trying to lighten the mood of a polarized election season? But then a few houses down, before I can barely even complete these thoughts, I see a big rainbow peace flag with big white letters, peace, written across this rainbow. Because in Natick over the summer, a lesbian couple's house was vandalized, eggs thrown at their house, and the, the rainbow flag that they had put up after the Orlando shootings in June had been stolen. Did you hear about this this summer? And this couple's neighbors, perhaps some of you here, in response to this vandalism, all put up peace flags, so many of them. And as I drive along, I see a second rainbow flag, and then another, and a few more houses down, and then a fifth, and a sixth, and I've lost count by the time I reached the library three minutes later. 
And these two images have stuck with me on Route 27, the flags and the sign, hope and despair, solidarity and disillusionment, standing side by side along the road like little pulpits proclaiming our current theology about humanity. A stark contrast between the corporate politics and grassroots organizing. And as I drive by all these rainbow flags, I think about the On Being podcast I heard this week, and I will just add a side note that you all are lucky that I don't preach to you on podcasts every week because I kind of want to. I love them so much. But in this episode of On Being, Krista Tippett was interviewing Ruby Sales, a black civil rights activist and theologian who talked about the need for public theology, about her experience with religion in the civil rights movement, and she called what she called today's spiritual crisis in white America. And she asked the central question, where does it hurt? A question, she says, that she learned to ask in the days of the civil rights movement, a question that cut through everything right to the heart of the matter. This question, she says, opened up the human element of each of the issues we collectively face. And Krista Tippett, the host, commented that it's a question we scarcely know how to ask in public life right now. That pain in public life often comes, at, comes out looking like anger, and that this pain has a huge force in shaping the polarization of this country and the world. And yet, she says, where does it hurt is a question that we must contend with regardless of who our next president will be, or what happens with the ballot questions in Massachusetts, or any of the other decisions that we must make as a collective. Pain often comes out as anger in public life, and anger is a legitimate feeling, especially in response to the experience of being marginalized, oppressed, dismissed, discounted, pointed to as that kind of person to fear. And sometimes anger masks pain in a way that keeps us distant from one another, making it difficult to see those vulnerable places, what is hurting underneath. So a confession, I knew that I was preaching on politics and pain and polarization this week, and I just couldn't bring myself to watch the debate on Monday. Monday was my day off, and I justified to myself, I said, I'm in a good mood, and I don't, I have other things I want to do instead, and I just know what it's going to be like, and it's going to make me angry. And I jumped right to that conclusion of my own anger. I even noticed in myself that before I think about why I will get there, that it makes me feel worried and sad and afraid, as Wendell Berry says, of what our life and our children's lives might be. It took me many days to finally watch the recording of the debate. During the primaries, a religious educator friend of mine, Lauren Wyeth, posted a Facebook status that has stuck with me, and I want to share it with you. What I really appreciate about it is that she makes no distinction of who the them is in her reference, and the feelings that she names resonate with me, so I hope they resonate with you. She writes, me feeling lost in our hate-filled world. Some of them feeling lost in our god godless world. Some of them feeling lost in our changing world. Others of them feeling lost in our hopeless world. All of us feeling outnumbered in our divided world. If there's a way home, she writes, we need to help each other get there.
Friends, will you sing with me again? Courage, my friends, you do not walk alone. We Walk with you and sing your spirit home. Tell me what breaks your heart, yours, and I'll tell you what breaks mine. Parker Palmer says that we think of heartbreak not as personal, as a personal, not a political condition. But he also reminds us in our reading that politics are fundamentally the essential and eternal human effort to craft the common life on which we all depend. And friends, my heart is broken by a common life on which we cannot all depend, that some of us can depend on, but not everyone, and perhaps yours is as well. My heart is broken by the news this week that we've just crossed, crossed the threshold into 400 parts per million of carbon dioxide in our atmosphere because I'm scared of what will happen and who will be hurt when the next storm hits. And perhaps your heart is broken by this too. And my heart is broken by news story after news story of black lives being devalued, degraded, killed, because I cannot imagine what it must be like to have inherited a history of enslavement, disenfranchisement, trauma, and I cannot imagine what it must be like to wonder every day if the color of your skin could be a death sentence. And per perhaps your heart breaks for this too. Or perhaps your heart breaks for the ways you or people you love struggle to make ends meet. Or perhaps it breaks when it comes face to face with the crushing cruelty of addiction or anxiety or depression. Tell me what breaks your heart, yours, and I'll tell you what breaks mine. Because underneath the rhetoric and the anger and the differing reasons we might point toward that underlie these heartbreaks is a struggle to craft a common life on which we can all depend. And it is not a question in which politics are over here and faith and religion are over here because our faith tells us that we are an interconnected web that we cannot extract ourselves from one another, that intentions are not good enough, we need to attend also to the impact of our actions on one another and on the larger whole. That we must craft a common life that takes into account not just being people who live our values, but a common life that lives our values as well. Parker Palmer says that there are two ways to picture a broken heart. And he uses heart to mean not just our emotions, but the core of our sense of self. The conventional image, he says, is that of a heart broken by unbearable tension into a thousand shards, shards that sometimes become shrapnel aimed at the source of our pain. Every day, he says, untold numbers of people try to pick up the pieces, some of them taking grim satisfaction from the way the heart's explosion has injured their enemies. Here, the heart is an unresolved wound that we too often inflict on others. But there is another way to visualize what a broken heart might mean, Palmer tells us. Imagine that small, clenched fist of a heart broken open into the largeness of life, 
into greater capacity to hold one's own and the world's pain and joy. This too happens every day. Who among us, Parker Palmer writes, has not seen the evidence in our own or other people's lives that compassion and grace can be the fruits of great suffering. Here, heartbreak comes, becomes a source of healing, enlarging our empathy and extending our ability to reach out. Friends, will you sing with me again? Courage, my friends, you do not walk alone. We will walk with you and sing your spirit home. We need broken, open hearts that are the beginning of healing. And so as I'm driving by all these rainbow flags in Natick, I think someone must have had a broken heart hearing what happened to that couple whose house got egged. And that broken heart was a heart broken open to compassion and action. I hear that it was children who went door to door delivering these flags to their neighborhood. And I think about when I was in 10th grade, we were in the midst of a public debate about gay marriage here in Massachusetts. And I was just coming out as a queer high schooler before I was old enough to vote on any of these issues. And thank goodness they never came to a vote. And to my 10th grade self, it felt like my very validity as a person, this newfound truth I had about my identity, was being debated on the nightly news. The pain at hearing people talk about what I now understood to be people like me in such a disparaging way was deep and caused me to be ready to snap out, snap and lash out, always on the defensive, on the alert, for anyone who I perceived as being less than welcoming, even the tiniest bit. Where does it hurt, Ruby Sales asks. Where does it hurt? And in 10th grade, I never could have imagined that a town like Natick, so much like the Massachusetts town I grew up in, would put up all those flags, or last year I saw in my hometown newspaper that the Gay Straight Alliance had just gotten the school in this fairly more conservative than Natick town to put up gender neutral bathroom signs. I never could have imagined that when I was in high school. But last year I attended the OWL guest panel with our church's seventh graders. And for those who are unfamiliar, OWL stands for Our Whole Lives and it's the Comprehensive Sexuality Education Program written by our Unitarian Universalist Association. And we offer it for our middle schoolers. We're starting it today, as you might have heard. And this OWL program has a guest panel in the middle of the year where GLBTQ people come and talk about their experience with the OWL participants and a number of students from Out Metro West, which is an organization that supports LGBTQ high schoolers in this area, came and spoke to the OWL group about their experience. They talked about being LGBTQ in high school, about being bullied, dealing with depression, about conflict with their parents over their gender or sexual identity. And I thought, we have come so far since I was in high school and we still have so far to go. But I could not properly see how much work there is still to be done without hearing their stories, my heart breaking open once more. 
Compassion comes from hearing one's, one another's stories, from being reminded that we cannot see all the pain there is to see from our limited vantage points. I've heard sociologists suggest that one of the many reasons we've seen a relative culture shift around LGBTQ issues in recent years is that so many people have a personal story, so many people have heard stories from people they care about, about their lives, about where it hurts. And it's only when we know one another's stories that we can grow our compassion. There's a Hasidic tale where a disciple asks the rabbi, Rabbi, why does the Torah ask us to place these words upon your hearts? Why does it not tell us to place these holy words in our hearts? And the rabbi answers, it is because as we are, our hearts are closed and we cannot place the holy words in our hearts. So we place them on top of our hearts and they stay there until one day the hearts break open and the words fall in. Friends, may our heartbreak be the healing of our democracy. As we endeavor to build a common life, may the source of our pain also be the source of our compassion. And may the compassion we offer to one another be a source of hope, of courage, and of comfort. Will you sing with me once more? Courage, my friends, you do not walk alone. We will walk with you and sing your spirit home. Thank you.